Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope you are really blessed by hearing it. Right, if you want to get your Bibles out straight away, because I'm going to do the reading first, and it's Luke 12, verse 12 to 21. It's going to come up on the screen as well. But it's Luke 12, 12 to 21. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which if you're using a church Bible won't be that helpful because you've got an NIV version, but it's the same Bible. And it says, Luke 12, 12 to 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell, me, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods, and then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and, but not have a rich relationship with God. That's an interesting Bible reading, isn't it? You've all gone very quiet now we've read that. I get all the joyful sermons, me. Well, my Bible commentary says that problems like this one were actually quite common to go to a rabbi and ask him to solve the problem. So that's not as weird as it sounds because can you imagine if we all had to go to Ron with our financial bickering or difficulties. What a nightmare that would be. But in those days, it was a bit more normal. But I love how Jesus responds to the real problem within the question, the actual higher issue involved, that which is the pursuit of accumulation of wealth. Jesus says life is more than material goods. And what is far more important is our relationship with God. Jesus puts his finger right on the questioner's real problem, his heart. And that happens to us too, doesn't it? How many times have you prayed and brought your, your prayer to God and he responds in that way too, actually pointing it straight back to you and going, this is what I feel you maybe need to change and it's down to our attitude and we're like, it's so annoying. I kind of wanted to be able to blame it on someone else or for you to give me the answer. And it's not the response we want always, is it? But as usual, with God, it's way more effective in actually helping us and helping us trace God's hand in our lives and to move forward in our journey with him. Jesus says that the good life has nothing to do with being wealthy, so be on guard for greed. The dictionary definition of greed, I thought I'd look it up, says an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food, or an inordinate or insatiable longing for material gain. Doesn't that sentence sound really ugly? I mean, greed doesn't sound great unless it's Mr. Greedy out of the Mr. Men, but the word greed sounds worse when you know what it means. And society says the exact opposite of what Jesus says. 
We celebrate monetary success, don't we? We value wealth. We reward wealth. Look at all the rich celebrities and people who get MBEs and CBEs and knighthoods. What for? For getting paid a huge amount of money for doing what they love and having people go, hey, you're amazing. How hard is that? I feel so sorry for them, don't you? No, just me again. Okay. It's me that has a rant about those things. Our benchmarks are all wrong. We benchmark success as how much money someone has. And this is what Jesus is calling out in this parable. People still believe today that money brings happiness, despite absolute evidence to the contrary. So this is a photo. Our first photo I'm going to show you is of, this is Roger and Lara. They won 1.8 million pounds on the lottery. And he was in IT and she was a teacher. So they quit their jobs and they splurged a huge amount of money on a barn. They then had expensive cars and trips to Dubai and Monaco and trips to London. He spent 25 grand making a record with his old band. And then in 2013, they split up. And they've lost everything. They're not married anymore, and he has seven pounds left in his account. They thought that money was going to bring them happiness. Most people, I saw an advert just last night saying, this is going to change everything in my life. They're showing you people who've won this little lotto thing to persuade you to buy a lottery ticket. And I thought it might change your life, but it might not be for the better. And I found 20 other stories in five minutes of other lottery winners who had had exactly the same story and they're now no longer married. Because the world says that more stuff will make you happy. It's a lie. Do you know that if you earn more than $34,500 as a household, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world? That's weird, isn't it? Because I bet we're all sat here going, well, I don't feel particularly wealthy. I don't feel like I've got, but compared to 99% of the rest of the world, we are. We've just lost our benchmark because we've joined the world in theirs instead of looking to the Bible for ours. That's why Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. So we're going to play a game now because I thought I'd better create a game to like, you know, stop the fear that's settling on you right now. And it's called Need and Want. I made it up, but I think it's fun. Oasis liked it. And we'll see how we go. So the first picture, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you pictures. And you have to shout out, is this a need, something we need, or something we want? So we st that's air, by the way. You try finding a photo of air on Google. <laughs> that is air. Do we need or want air? Need. We need air. Yes, I'm easing you in gently. The next one is, what's that? Water. Do we need or want water? I don't know why I'm looking up there. I can see it there. And the next one is, oh, it's a little, that's a little shelter. You don't have to live in a birdhouse. I just like the picture. It's shelter. Do we need or want shelter? We need shelter. Food. Do we need or want food? We need food. Love. Do we need or want love? We need the love of God, don't we? And that helps us to love other people. Car, come on. Do we 
need a car or do we want a car? Oh, oh, it went a bit. What was that? Begrudgingly, you're going want, aren't you? I know a car makes your life easier, but we don't need it, but we want it. What's the next one? A holiday. This divided Oasis in half. <laughs> do you need or want a holiday? Now, Jesus says we need rest. We do need rest. Doesn't say we need exotic holidays. So is, I'm going to let you decide because I can't decide. Is it a need or a want? Oh, well done. Look, you're like, I'm saying want. She might look at me. What's the next? Oh, a phone. Nisha added this one in, and I liked it. A phone. Is a phone a need or a want? There's people at that going, look, I really need my phone for work. It, it's a want. What's next? Booze. Beer, and we all the parents are going, need. Is it a need or a want? Some of you were at least honest then. I know Jesus turned water into wine, but what's the next one? I think this is meant to represent a spa. I don't want it or need it, thanks. No one's touching me. I'm too British. Don't, I, I'm, I'm really not. I am that person that freaks out if you touch me. I'm a joy for um, Claire's daughter. I don't go anywhere near her massaging table thing. Need or want? What want? You're getting more and more depressed. I thought, park annual pass. I thought this would be easy. I don't want or need that either. What is that? A need or a want? It's a want for some people. Tea and coffee. <laughs> you are simple creatures. You all went need. It has water in it. It's a want. I think there's one more. The Bible. Oh, so you do know you need the Bible. I look forward to seeing you read it then. That was my rant. Not really anything to do with the game. You see, it's hard, isn't it? That's how much stuff we have. And some of it we do think of as a need, like a cup of coffee every day. How many times have we actually said, I really need that, when actually it's just a nice pair of shoes in my case, and actually it's I really want that. And part of us helping us to stay true to the biblical perspective on money and stuff is learning to understand that 100% of what we have is from God. It's actually given to us and blessed to us by him. Here's an example of what I need. Nurses get paid 21,000. They work hard, yes? I found a chief exec of a large organization. Can't be that large. I think mine used to get paid more. 200 grand. They work hard. Yet they do. You might not like them, but they do. A refuse collector earns 12.8,000. They work hard, yes? A vicar. They earn... Between, because apparently it's different, I thought it was all the same, between 24 and 25,000 a year. They work hard. 
None of you are allowed to say, no, I live with one. They do. Does each person's worth, so is the person who is the chief exec worth more than a nurse? No, because their value is not in how much they get paid. Each person's worth does not equal their salary. Everything we have is given to us by God. Some people are entrusted with more money than others because God is expecting them to use the the gifts that they have, the unique gifts he's given them, and the resources that he's given them to further the kingdom of God. And that's their calling. Other people who maybe have less money maybe have a different calling. And I think if we don't recognize that everything we have is a blessing from God, then what we do is we slip into pride. As harsh as it sounds, that's what happens. So I have a question for you to reflect on. So no matter how how much money we do or don't have, does our life demonstrate that God controls the wealth that he has placed in our care? It's a bit awkward, isn't it, that question? That's my awkward pose, in case you hadn't worked that out. Makes me want to do that, it's not cringe. Does our life demonstrate that God controls the wealth that he's placed in our care? Because you see, the rich man in the story died before he could even begin to use what he was stashing away in his huge barns. He was planning to stash it away, sit back, eat, drink, and be merry, chillax, I'm sorted. But God said to him, what did he say? You're a fool. You will die this very night. Then who's going to get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So God isn't asking us to share what we have because he needs it, nor is he asking us to sell our house and live in a tent at Sunbury Cross. He's asking us for what he has blessed us with because it shows the condition of our hearts. It demonstrates that condition. It shows where our value really is. You see, when we're in deep relationship with God, it doesn't occur to us to keep it to ourselves. It occurs to us to share what we have in joy, to further the kingdom of God so that women in prison can get to know the gospel and give their life to Jesus and leave changed. Everything like that takes money. God is higher than finance, and God is higher than our fear. So Jesus knew the state of the rich man's heart. That's why he called him a fool. Because instead of rejoicing at the abundance he had been blessed with by God and sharing it with the community that he lived in, his instinct was to keep it to himself, which suggests he thinks that it was all down to him that he's got it in the first place. How many people have you heard say, I worked hard for this? It's like, well, so did that person and they got paid a quarter of what you did, but they still worked hard. The working hard part is not why you have the money. You have the money because God has blessed you with it. And when we talk about money in church, it all gets a bit squirmy and awkward. I can feel the awkwardness coming off the seats. I'm British as well, but how else do we actually think things get done around here? How else do we actually think people's salaries get paid so that we can serve our community, so that our children have a fabulous kids' church, or our youth can go to Soul Survivor? How do you think we have electricity in this building? 
How do you think we have hundreds and thousands of cups? That is like the biggest expense in this church, tea and coffee. How do you think we have gallons of milk, communion wine, instruments, toilet roll, a new toilet, chairs, lights, a sound system, a church office that we have to rent. The list could go on. How else do we think we have our most valuable asset, our staff team? How do you think these wonderful people get paid? Maybe it's all paid for by that really famous person, someone else. Well, all of those things are paid for from the tithe that comes into our church. And for those of you that don't know what the word tithe means, it's a biblical term. And it means to give to the work of God's church. 10% of our income that comes into our house. 10%! God lets you keep 90%. How cool is that? Yes! Carl and Kirsty are excited by that. Everybody else, not so much. The Church of England only pays for Ron. Ron's salary. The tithe pays for everything else. So I'm going there. You wait for this next question. (laughs) Come on, Lord. If you take all the regular givers here in our adult congregation, so that's the people who consider St. Saviour's their home, I want you to shout out a percentage of how many you think tithe regularly each month. People who've already heard this talk are not allowed to shout out. Kirsty's gone high. She's saying 90%. 30%? Any advance on 30%? Do you want to know what it is for St. Saviors? It's between 5 and 10%. I got an ooh at Oasis. They literally went, ooh. I was like, yes. That was my response. Between 5 and 10% tithe here. I was surprised at that figure. And don't panic. I don't know which of you it is. I haven't been looking at the list. I have no desire to know which ones of you tithe or don't. I could probably guess, I'm not going to, we're not going to ask you to put your hand up, because it's actually between you and God. We're not supposed to shout about what we do. You know, we're not supposed to go, look at me, look at me, I give so much money, I'm awesome. Well, you just ruined it in that one sentence, because he said, do it quietly so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And it's not about shaming people into giving, it just shows us we have a long way to go with our hearts here. That's okay. It's a lifetime journey. So I will ask you, do you invest in our community here? And yes, we're called to give our time, but we're not called to give our time instead of our tithe. I'm just taking that right off the table right now. We are called to tithe money, actual physical cash. Do you invest in the spreading of the gospel inside and outside? Are you actually investing in your own spiritual journey? Because this is your church. This is our church. This is our place, our home. Or are you like I used to be? Do you let fear stop you? 
If you do let fear stop you, you're missing out on so much blessing. Unlocking my fear on finance has deepened my trust in God in all areas of my life. And don't get me wrong, I still have a long way to go to be a cheerful, joyful giver. Sometimes God's wrestling it out of my hands. But I'm trying. When we regard our finances rather than our faith in Christ as the basis for our security, then we give higher status to earthly resource than we do to God. So rather than trusting in the changeable temporary resources, trust in God who is eternal. In this parable, Jesus challenges us to think beyond earthbound goals and to use what we have for God's kingdom. Faith, service, and obedience are the way to become truly rich in God. What do we do with our money and how we view it? It's a heart issue. It's actually nothing to do with our wallet. It's to do with our heart. So what can you do today? Maybe you'd like prayer to receive, you know, that God will unlock your heart and that fear like me that you have on your heart of not having anything. Maybe you're bursting to have that trust in God that will let you just tithe with abandon. Maybe you want to start to give for the first time ever today. Maybe this talk has stirred a real irritation and crossness and anger in your heart that we've mentioned it. And you need prayer for that. Maybe you're going to go home and review all your blessings God has given you and say thank you for them. Maybe you'll go home and ask, where is my heart, Lord? Where is my heart? Any of those things would be a good start. And I'm going to finish with the words in Matthew that helped me. Because in Matthew 6, it says these two beautiful verses. The first one is, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And this second part in Matthew, which was the most, is the first ever sentence I read in the Bible, and it just shows how God knows us so well, because he went straight to the heart of the problem for me, which was money. And it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The closer I have got to Jesus, the less I've allowed money to have a hold on me. It's a gradual process and I'm still in it. I'm still on that journey, but it's now one I'm thankful for. Just like all other heart issues that God has been working on in me, there's judgment and gossip, and I'm just not going to list all my faults again today. You're all well aware of them. It's a heart issue. Giving joyfully and willingly is another one that he works on in our heart. It's a trust issue. And if you want to know where your treasure is, you're not sure, then look at your bank statement and your diary. They're the two greatest places to find out where your heart really lies. So will you do that today? What will you do having heard this talk? You may leave cross that we you know, mentioned the M word in church. Or are you going to allow God to bless you by blessing others? We're now going to move into our response. So we're at the end of our service. But maybe stay. 
Come and get prayer. That's what the prayer team are there for. They don't need to know what you need. God already knows. Maybe just come and ask him to help you with this issue in your life and see what he does. See how the Holy Spirit leads you. Amen. For more information, please go to www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.